Fantastic. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited about this, this event. Um, I can tell you that you have, it looks like two formal methods people. You've got Sean who does machine learning and maybe unlike me knows about ODEs uh, and, uh, and Brennan who does more practical computer science and Jacob who does more practical computer science. You have a diverse audience and there's more people who watch afterward. We're very excited to have you. Um, and, uh, and without the floor is yours. So, so feel free to screen share or not or whatever works for you. Okay, um, yeah. The event. Yeah, so, okay. I apologize for my incredibly corny title. I didn't know, I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Um, so, um, like I was telling Max earlier, by the way, so I, I kept my prepared, um, my, my prepared slides here pretty short. Um, and so like, please, there's plenty of time for you to interrupt me. Um, I'm also like, I wasn't totally sure what the audience was and I am much more used to talking to mathematicians. Um, so if there is any, if there are any questions or anything that I don't define that you need me to define, like, please, 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 um, just feel free to interrupt me. Um, there's plenty of time. So like, I'm hoping we can keep it, you know, we're a small group here. Um, we can keep it pretty casual. Um, so feel free to just totally unmute yourself and just, just jump in if there's anything um, that you need clarification on. Um, so yeah, and I actually was really excited when I actually kind of had a moment in this. I had a moment when, as I was preparing this that I realized that the term hybrid systems can mean like a variety of different things. Um, and I was like, wait, they know like which type of hybrid system that I do, right? Like then this is not like, cause there was something like, fuzzy logic and something. And I was like, that's okay. That's not what I do. And there's something in like mechanical engineering and again, not what I do. So, okay. So what, what, when I say hybrid systems, what do I mean? Um, okay. So what is a hybrid system? Um, so at its most basic, a hybrid system is something that exhibits both continuous and discrete behavior. Um, so you as computer scientists are probably much more, think you much do much more, and I apologize if I'm wrong, um, you think much more, I think, in, in discrete terms, right? Like, I'm thinking every time I write code, like, everything's very discrete. Like, I, every time I do a for loop or something, right, that's a very discretized process. Um, whereas a hybrid system is something that combines some of that discrete behavior with a continuous component. Um, and the very canonical example um, of a hybrid system that you see everybody talk about whenever you have an introduction to hybrid system is a bouncing ball. So if you imagine a ball that's bouncing, um, the idea is that when the ball is in the air, everything changes smoothly and continuously, right? There's, um, there's an effect of gravity on the ball. Um, and so that is like, you know, slowing down the ball's um, velocity, but that's happening continuously and smoothly, right? There's no abrupt changes happening while the ball is in the air. But the instant the ball hits the ground, right, there's that instantaneous change in direction, right? And that comes from the ball. And physicists tell me that I'm oversimplifying. Whenever I do this, they always kind of like give me a look, but, um, 
But for now, we're just gonna go with this model that every time a ball hits the ground, it instantaneously reverses direction. So there's that discrete component that's built in to a continuous system. And so if I were a mathematician, which I am, and I were trying to model um, a bouncing ball, one way that I could do it was, okay, let's let X be my variable that represents the ball's height. And, and um, Y is gonna be the ball's velocity. And we know that velocity is the derivative of, of uh, position or height. So Y will be X prime. Um, and then I can write when X is greater than zero. So that means again, when the ball is in the air, right? When its height is positive. Um, dx dt is y, that's that same as y equals x prime. dy dt is negative g, and that is that negative, you know, g here is going to be my gravity, um, so my acceleration due to gravity, because I'm on planet Earth. Uh, but when x is equal to zero, that's when we see that instantaneous change, right? So x will go back to X, the height doesn't change, you know, the height is still, the ball doesn't kind of teleport, right? So the ball's position stays the same, but the ball's velocity changes, um, whereas Y, whatever velocity it's approaching the ground with, it instantaneously reverses and goes in the opposite direction. And you can include, depending on your model, um, you can include a lambda there, which is some kind of, you know, um, um, loss of capacity of the system, right? If there's, if there's, you know, if you want to represent the ball, like eventually kind of loses height as it goes, um, maybe it loses some energy as it goes into the ground. Um, so you could, you could let lambda be some positive constant there just to kind of represent, um, or if you wanted to kind of a, an infinite bouncing ball, um, you could let lambda be one there. All right, any questions so far? But I, I don't mean to jump into something super technical. If no, 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 please do. I, like, okay. yeah. So I'm, I'm more accustomed to like the automata theoretic presentation of a hybrid system where you have, you have an automaton and then you have like some ODEs that are associated with each state. And then yes. like your, your jump is based off conditions on the variables that the ODEs range over. Yes. And this seems more like a piecewise, uh, I don't know, a piecewise pres functional presentation. I don't know the right words. Um, but like you have piecewise ODEs or something like that. So I guess I'm wondering, are these like equivalent notions? Um, um, yeah, so the way, and I'll kind of, in my next example, you'll kind of see that as well. But um, the idea is that you are kind of like stitching together these different differential equations. Like you have different systems and different differential equations that you kind of stitch together yeah. in like a discrete manner. Okay. Right, and so the way that that stitching happened can be, like you said, like can be some sort of state dependent. Yeah. Um, you know, it's dependent on some kind of like external um, condition. Right. Right. Um, I apologize, my dogs are behind me. Hilbert. They're, they're defending you from the computer scientists. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Hilbert's named after a mathematician, so he's- Oh, okay. Like, like you're, Hilbert, that's okay. Um, so, so yeah, you'll kind of see that more in my, in my next example. Um, okay. But yeah, great question. But you do kind of see again, like there's that condition aspect here that kind of tells you again, like looking to that, that other condition to say like, what is going to happen with this change? Okay.
Um, so let's consider another example. So let's suppose I have, and again, I, I don't know if you have taken differential equations um, or if it's been a while since you've taken differential equations. So, so please, again, feel free if I need to explain things a little bit further. Um, but let's consider two different differential equations on the unit interval 0, 1. Um, so dy dt is x times x minus 1, or dy dt is negative x times x minus 1. So you can see already there's going to be some symmetry between these two systems, right? Hilbert, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know what he's growling at. Um, so, like I said, there's, these are kind of mirror images of each other, right, because of that negative sign that's present or not present. Um, both of these have fixed points at the endpoints, so you can kind of consider just that interval by itself. You don't have to look. I, I like to study examples of differential equations or dynamical systems on um, what are called compact sets. Um, so compact, um, broadly speaking, means like, sets that don't kind of go off to infinity and that they're also like contain their boundary, right? So this set here is compact because it, it, it's, you know, kind of within a finite range here and it contains its two boundary points, um, zero and one. So this is a compact set here, the interval zero, one. Um, I like looking at dynamical systems on compact sets because that guarantees that you have some kind of convergence at some point, like something has to kind of accumulate somewhere. Um, if you don't have compactness, you're not guaranteed that. Um, and so, so that's why I kind of am limiting myself here to just the unit interval zero one. Um, and that's because you don't, you don't contain your limit points necessarily. Is that why? Correct. correct. Yeah. Okay. You don't necessarily contain limit points if your set's not compact exactly. Um, or, you know, I could have systems, I could have equations that run off to infinity or negative infinity if my set were like unbounded. Um, so I like looking at compact things. Um, because that kind of guarantees me limit behavior um, that is that is nice and easy to talk about. But that's that's so that's just kind of like that's what I study. Um, there are certainly systems that are are not on compact sets. Um, so in this now I have to remember which one's which. <laughs> um, if okay, if all my x values are in between zero and one, right? So if I plug in num a number for x that's between zero and one, like if I plug in x equals 0.5, you'll notice x is going to be positive, but x minus one is negative. So I have positive times negative is a negative number. So my derivative is negative, which means that these functions are going to decrease, right? So if I start somewhere along the unit interval, Eventually, the idea is that we kind of move to the left and everything kind of converges at this fixed point of zero. Whereas with the other system, mirror image, op the exact opposite thing happens, right? If I start anywhere along this line, um, I get convergence the other direction to one. And so that's what happens in these two individual systems if I consider them separately by themselves. Um, but what if I wanted to combine these two systems somehow? So what if I kind of wanted to alternate between these two systems? And, there, and as Max mentioned before, there can be conditions on like when, you know, maybe there's some external condition that determines which of these two systems you are in at any given time, right? Um, I tend to study um, systems that, that alternate 
or that switch sort of on a regular basis. So if you can imagine like switching between these two at regular time intervals, what's going to happen, right? If I start, maybe I start with the, the, the bottom system, which is where we go to the left. I'll go, or I'm sorry, to the right. I'll go to the right for a while and then that switch happens. So there's that instantaneous, that discrete change. And then we move to the left and then switch again, move to the right. And you can see what happens is that if that happens at regular time intervals, you're going to end up kind of suspended, right? In the in in on some sort of symmetric um, interval over here. Um, so this presents a little bit of a challenge because what a lot of people in the past have done is they're like, oh, if we have two differential, two dynamical systems here, two differential equations on the same, on the same space, this zero one interval, and I want it, and I were to consider combining them somehow. Um, we, what we're going to say is that the combined system, we're just going to kind of average the limiting behavior. And so like this one has an attracting fixed point at zero, the other one has an attracting fixed point at one. We'll just say that the combined system would have an attracting fixed point at 0.5. And as you can see, that's a little bit too simplistic, right? Because 0.5 is not an attracting fixed point. It's not like everything kind of gathers in the middle. I mean, it could, depending on what you know, what your switching regimen was. But as I showed you, if we just switch, if we take a really pretty simple example of just switching at regular time intervals, you do see, you see this kind of like suspension in the middle, which is totally different from any behavior that you would see from any other, like any one differential equation um, on the system. So we have to make the problem a little bit harder for us to apply like our classical dynamics um, to the problem before we can kind of like, you know, apply a lot of the definitions and, and theorems and things that we're used to talking about. So, okay, so this was my example of like, what's gonna happen, right? Um, if you kind of alternated at regular time intervals. So here we're just like at integer times, um, are switching and you can see again that kind of like piecewise behavior. Um, and here at those start corners, that's where you see that discrete change happening. Okay. So like I said, um, and this behavior, you're not gonna see, um, you're not gonna see this type of a behavior for, there's no differential equation that I could write on the unit interval zero one that is gonna give you this behavior. There's like, I could not write one differential equation um, that gives you that. Um, and I guess maybe I can try to open up to some audience participation if people are up for it. Um, does anyone see any reasons why that might be? And again, I know it's probably been a while since you've had thought or thought about any differential equations. Matt. I'm just going to take, take a guess here, but yeah, it, totally. It seems like each of the equations only depended on your your position, your x, but now you have this sort of time dependence of some sort. Exactly right. 
Um, and I guess I should say, like, you're not going to see an autonomous system that one that doesn't have a time dependence, um, because you can see, for instance, okay, let's say, let's consider like the point point eight. When you visit point eight, your behavior is different depending on which system you're in, right? Here, if I'm at point eight, I like I'm going through it from directions from right to left. But here, when I visit point eight, I'm going from left to right. I might have switched the directions there wrong, but you get the idea. The direction I'm going is sort of dependent on my time, right? And so I can't write like one autonomous, nice differential equation that's going to encompass all of that behavior because there is that dependence there that where I see different behavior depending on like what's going on, what system is kind of in charge at any given moment. Okay. So how do I model a hybrid system? I'm gonna borrow an idea from control theory. Um, and one thing that this does kind of, and again, as mathematicians, we take everything and we make it very theoretical. Um, one thing that this does uh, require us to know is that we kind of know ahead of time what the pattern of switching is gonna be. Um, so like Max said, it's possible depending on if I had some kind of maybe, and this and this is another thing that I do look at as well, if I, if I implement some kind of maybe an element of um, stochasticity or randomness to my system. Um, but the idea is that like, if I'm sitting here right now and I wanna write a model, I'm gonna kind of know ahead of time, like what the switching pattern is gonna be. So the pattern of like how the switches are gonna happen, what at what time points those switches happen, how do I, am I switching from system A to B to C, or am I switching from A to C to B? You know, how does this, how does the switching happen? I kind of know that ahead of time. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have a separate, totally separate, I'm gonna consider that switching behavior kind of separately. And the way I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna write this function U of T to be that, that piecewise constant function which represents the discrete changes in the system. So you can imagine, for instance, if I, um, maybe I label these two different systems here, let's call them A and B, right? If I wanted to have to talk about the switching behavior and if I were switching at, um, at regular, let's say I switch at every integer time unit, um, I would just have a piecewise function that's like, a from zero to one, and then B from one to two, and then A from two to three, and then B from three to four, and so on and so forth, right? So I kind of have mapped out all of the switching that's gonna happen ahead of time. Um, so those jumps there, right, between when I switch from A to B or, or however I've kind of notated the different systems that I'm working with, those represent those discrete changes in the system. Um, and here I get a little bit into the weeds, um, but what I want is I want to be able to talk about that switching behavior as a dynamical system in and of itself. So apart from like what's happening with, you know, the differential equation, for instance, on the unit interval, just looking at the switching, just at the, the pattern of the switching, I want to be able to talk about like how that thing is changing over time and so the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to take that piecewise constant function and I basically can imagine, um, you might remember, and again, it's, it might have been a while, talking about like horizontal translations of functions, right? 
So basically I grab the function and I kind of like drag it horizontally around. So basically what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna grab that function. And I'm just gonna kind of drag it all the way around and I'm gonna consider all possible different horizontal shifts of that function. Um, so that is, uh, all of those things together are gonna be, I'm gonna put them together in a set called Lambda. So those are all of those shifted functions. And the way that I kind of transition between them is through the shift map. So you can imagine, you know, this function is basically just shifting for, it's kind of like, it's like on a little conveyor belt and it's just kind of like shifting continuously um, to the left. And that is its own like dynamical system, really. Uh, so that's what I'm doing here. So again, this is totally independent of what's happening again on my unit interval or whatever space, you know, subset of the real numbers that I'm looking at. This is just the switching behavior by itself. Um, and again, I'm getting, I'm getting pretty theoretical here, but like if I want to talk about dynamics, especially if I want to talk about things like limit behavior, if I want to talk about like how close two things are or far apart from each other, um, we need to, we need to, a topology on this, right? Like um, I need some kind of a structure for this space. Like if I were to, you know, if I take the letters of the alphabet, like a, B, C, D, E, F, G, et cetera. Like there isn't, I guess there is kind of a met, like an induced apology on that, but like it doesn't really, like I don't have kind of a set, like an idea of like where those things are relative in space to each other, right? Or if I took maybe the set of people that was like all eight of us and put us all together in a set, there's no, like we're just a collection of people, right? There's no relationship between like distance or how far apart or how close things are. And so I need some kind of a way of measuring that. Um, and right now, all I have is all these functions together in a set. And I don't really have a way of talking about like how close or far apart two functions are. Um, so I'm going to define a metric, a way of measuring a distance between these two functions. Um, by, by the way, Kimberly, just, just so you feel safe, everybody here should know basic real analysis. And okay, basic good. Analysis. So yes, so yeah. we should have some basic real analysis. So yeah, so yeah. I need, I need to have a metric space. How about topology? How are we feeling about, I guess we don't really need topology. Probably so. basic point set, I think is fine. But if anybody has a question about a definition, they can speak. <laughs> okay, but, well, yeah. so I mean, I need to induce a topology on this system, right? And by, I can do that by, by, by um, defining a metric. Um, so, okay, so the way that I'm gonna define this metric on this function space um, is I'm basically gonna like, for every kind of unit of time here that is like a unit long, I'm basically, if, if I have two functions, I'm just gonna compare like, how far are they, like how, where do they agree and where do they disagree? And I'm just gonna kind of, count up, I'm just gonna kind of measure how long, like where, where do two functions kind of agree and overlap with each other and where do they disagree, right? So that's what I'm doing down here. And then once I've done that, I'm basically gonna add up all of the like lengths on which they agree and disagree, but I'm gonna weight it because I need this thing to converge, right? I have an infinite series. I'm gonna weight it by four to the absolute value of I, so that can, guarantees that convergence there. Um, and what that does is that kind of focuses the importance on 
um, parts of the functions that are closer to zero and decreases the weight further out in the tails, right? So two functions are gonna be closer together if they are more similar close to the origin, but maybe differ out in the tails versus functions that are different really close to the origin, but maybe agree out in the tails. So there's that kind of like gives that focus there. Um, and I really, the way I imagine is like, like the way I kind of think about it is like, I'm kind of focusing on just like the origin and things sort of get blurry, like as they go further out. And then as these functions shift, different parts of them kind of come into view, right? If I'm focusing just on the origin and then I'm imagining this function shifting, like different parts of the function kind of come into view. So that is what's happening here. So now I have a metric space. I have um, an operation that gives me a dynamical system. Um, so I can talk about dynamics on this metric space um, and I can apply all sorts of different like classical dynamics results and definitions to this space. And I won't kind of get into what all of those are, but it does at least allow me to kind of talk about these things that we're used to talking about for dynamical systems in this space. And that refers to the switching behavior. So I've kind of taken the switching behavior and I've made it its own dynamical system, which is sort of cool. Um, and then what I need to do is, so I have the switching, the kind of switching space, that function space, um, but that wasn't really the thing we were interested in, right? The thing we were really interested in was the behavior on like the unit interval zero one, or, you know, again, whatever metric space, whatever subset of Rn, for instance, it doesn't have to be a subset of Rn, but for simplicity, usually, whatever compact subset of Rn, um, I was kind of like focusing on with my differential equations at the beginning, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have those two guys kind of run simultaneously to each other. So the function space is running in the background. And then what's happening in the foreground kind of in that like subset of Rn is it's getting information from the function space that tells it like what system it's in at any given time. Right, so it's going to get so it's going to look to the function space, and the function space is going to kind of update and give it new information and be like, okay, right now we're in system A, we're in system A. Okay, now you got to switch. Now you got to switch. Now we're in system B. Now we're in system B. Okay, switch. Now we're in system C. System C. You know, whatever that switching is, and um, so that's all this and that kind of thing where I consider those two things running parallel to each other. Um, the fancy name for that is a skew product flow, and that's kind of all that I'm saying here is I've got these two systems that kind of run parallel to each other. Um, but one system is kind of independent, does its own thing. The other system is looking back at that first system to get information and update. So delta was again that function space from before and that does its own thing, right? That's just the switching. Um, it doesn't need any additional information. It just kind of runs and does its thing. M here is gonna be what happens kind of in the real world. Um, but M kind of looks all, is always looking back to Delta for information. Um, so the analogy that I gave my students was like, let's suppose, um, and I'm not in politics. <laughs> also, this might be, this might be um, a really bad analogy, but I'm imagining like, let's imagine there's some kind of um, like the president or something is giving a speech, but he's giving a speech about some event that's like kind of happening in real time time right so he's like trying to update the public um and he's getting but he's getting information like through an earpiece 
from his like aides or whatever in the background who are gonna inform him if the situation that he's talking about has changed somehow, right? So the so, but what we see is the president talking, like we, the public see the president talking, but in the background, there's something that's gonna kind of tell him if something switches, right? So all we're observing is the president's behavior, but we know that in the background, there's something else happening and that he's getting information from somewhere else. And that was, those other people are gonna kind of update him if something changes, if something switches. So that's kind of what's happening with the SKU product flow. I can't, in terms of dynamical systems, just consider like what the president is doing or what's happening in my subset of RN on its own because it doesn't follow the classical definition of a dynamical system. It, it kind of violates all of these axioms that we require. So I can't apply, for instance, things that I wanna talk about like limit behavior or different definitions of recurrence I can't apply those just in those systems, but when I consider the two running in parallel, then I can. Um, so example, like, right, I can let, um, I can let phi here be the solution to this differential equation. And here is my kind of switching function happening, right? So there's that function happening in the background, but it's kind of updating what's happening here. So this differential equation is getting information from this switching function that, that tells it how it's gonna switch. So that's just one example. Um, and I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit. I sort of said all this stuff already, but I said the point in studying the skew product flow is because it takes the hybrid system, which is this kind of weird thing to kind of wrap your head around a little bit, and it changes it to a classic continuous dynamical system where the discrete component is sort of built in. Um, so when I say continuous, rather what I mean is not necessarily continuous, like you might still see jumps or like sharp edges happening, um, but I mean continuous with respect to time. Right, there's a time continu uh, continuum there rather than like a, you know, something, a discrete process that takes only integer times. I now have something that runs across like the whole real numbers. Um, and I can apply all of these classical dynamics concepts to that product space, right? So I can talk about non-wandering sets, for instance, as a subset of the product space, right? Fixed points. Those are going to be fixed points that are a subset of a product space. Asymptotic stability, chain recurrence. And again, I'm not going to define these things because you don't really need to know them. Um, if you're interested, I can tell you. But these are all going to be things that are happening as a subset of a product space, right? So every time I talk about a point, really I mean an ordered pair of points, right? Something that's a function and then something in Rn. Those two things come together as a pair. Um, and so one thing that I do is I'm like, okay, it's really great that we can study this all with the, and this is one thing that I did for my PhD work, um, is I was like, okay, it's really great that we can study this as a product, but like the product, the SKU product was a little bit unwieldy, right? Everywhere I go, I have to look at pairs of things, right? I have to deal with things on a product space all the time. And really the only thing I care about the thing that I want in the foreground is what's happening like in RN. I don't really need the switching behavior in the background. So if I were to take projections from the product space and just project it down into the, the, the uh, subset of real numbers, what do we lose? What do we gain? 
do we retain, like, we kind of have to adapt our definitions a little bit. Do we retain some of these kind of like recurrence concepts? So one thing that I did for my dissertation was I kind of made up new definitions for like, what does recurrence mean if I'm just in this isolated, um, if I'm looking just at Rn and not with it paired, it's paired kind of function space in the background. Um, so I have to, you have to redefine, for instance, chain recurrence is something that I looked at. You have to like come up with a new definition um, because the regular definition doesn't work, doesn't apply. And then I want to ask myself, like, is there a relationship between like what I think of chain recurrence in just like the subset Rn versus chain recurrence on the entire product space? Like, is there a relationship there? Um, so that is work that I did as part of my PhD. Um, I haven't talked about, I haven't thought about that stuff so much recently, um, mostly because I came across a really hard problem in the, in the process. And after talking with a couple of dynamicists, they were like, they were basically like, oh, that's really hard. Like, I don't know if you're going to get that. <laughs> and so I kind of gave up on that problem for a while. And now one thing that I do is I look at um, stochastic perturbations to dynamical systems. So this process that I did here requires that we kind of know in advance everything that's going to happen, right? And everything's going to happen like with probability one or zero, I guess, um, how the switching is going to happen. But what if I don't know ahead of time how the switching works, right? What if I modeled that with some kind of a discrete stochastic process, like a Markov process, um, like or a Markov chain rather, a Markov process is more continuous. Um, Things get really weird <laughs> when you do that. Um, for instance, if I have a, a chaotic system, um, by adding, by perturbing some, some element of, of stochasticity, you can actually stabilize um, chaotic systems. And the example for that is, or, or I guess un, unstable systems, you can kind of stabilize. Um, and one example I have for that is, has anyone ever tried to balance like a meter stick in their hand? Right, like balance it up right. I always did this as a kid, right? And it's like really hard to get the meter stick. Like if you're holding your hand still, it's really hard to get the meter stick perfectly balanced, right? So that's an unstable system. But if you kind of like, if you move your hand around, that helps, right? If I kind of like jiggle my hand a little bit, that actually helps you kind of balance that, that, that meter stick upright. Um, and so that's where we see that, that addition of like that noise there into that system actually helps you stabilize something that was previously unstable. Um, so that's stuff that I'm doing now. Um, and I guess I'll kind of like leave it there and open it up for questions. That was awesome. Thank you very much, Kimberly. Um, I think I'll, I'll start and then other people should jump in. So uh, can you explain I know there's like funny business with Zeno's paradox in hybrid systems, but I don't really know how this works in your presentation. But or another way to put it would be like race conditions between um, the discrete stuff and the continuous stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can definitely. So this is where it's nice to kind of know ahead of time everything that's going to happen, right? If I kind of map out all the switching ahead of time, because you're right there could be conditions where like, if things, if switching's happening like too quickly, right? Um, you end up, you could end up with things kind of converging in finite time, which you don't really want them to do, right? 
Um, or you could end up like with the, the Zeno's paradox stuff, like you could end up with um, a system that can never really like catch up to itself, if that makes sense. Um, so that gets a little bit more into kind of the, the conditional switching stuff, which I don't know as much about because I'm like, as a theorist, I'm like, let's just assume that we know everything ahead of time and I can like put it down on paper and map it out, which is really convenient to do when I'm studying it from the standpoint of theory, right? But like from application, if I were to write some kind of code that was giving me some kind of conditions on the switching, I would need to make sure, like I'd, I'd wanna make sure that I avoid those kind of situations, right? Um, and so, yeah, unfortunately I don't have a super good answer for you because my answer for you is like, let's just assume that doesn't happen. Um, so that's the kind of thing where like, but yeah, there are definitely things like that that you need to kind of like make sure that you're trying to avoid. Um, and that's why, um, you know, you do want to be pretty careful about the like conditions of your switching, right? Um, and oftentimes this is why I say like, you don't like, you want to be careful. And I'm sure as computer scientists, you know this, you basically want to be careful that things aren't getting too like self-referential, right? Um, like you want to have a kind of nice chain of command for how things are, um, for what the order of like how, what's, what's, dependent on what, right? Um, so for instance, right now my switching behavior, the way I have it written is like totally, um, totally independent of anything else, right? It doesn't have any dependency on anything. And so it kind of is able to do its own thing without dependence from anything else. Um, if somehow the switching behavior was conditional back on what was happening in my real, in the real world situation, then you can end up in these sort of like awkward self-referential loops, right? Um, and I'm totally positing here about this, but you I think you wanna be kind of careful, again, about the sort of like chain of command. So I'm thinking like, you know, the president is giving his talk and his aides in the background are getting information, but if the aides would get, if part of what the aides were gathering information was like, what was the president saying? At, at a certain given time, right? If like, if they were debasing their information off of what he was saying, you can end up in this like really awful like feedback loop, right? Um, yeah, that's exactly the sort of thing I was thinking of. Like in computer yeah, so science, you build all these models and then the model like can't progress past some time because of some yeah. self-reference like this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you, yeah, so I guess, again, my answer isn't super great. It's just basically like, don't do that. <laughs> Um, okay, ben, Brennan is asking, yeah, so like I said, we are borrowing a lot from control theory here, right? So one thing that I did when I was doing my dissertation um, was I was, my, my advisor had kind of written this book all about control theory. And I basically like took a lot, like I told you I had to come up with my own definitions for things. I basically took a lot of his definitions from things that he'd come up with in the language of control theory and adapted them to the language of like hybrid systems. So there's definitely a, a, a commonality there. I guess the difference is really in between like in control theory, the idea like the world control is the idea that we have control over, you know, some parameter or something, right? Like that we are able to kind of toggle it at will. Whereas with hybrid systems, we don't necessarily have 
we're kind of, we kind of have to work with whatever has been handed to us, um, depending on the system. We don't have control over the switching. So, you know, control theory leads you to things like optimal control, right? Like how can I optimally switch things to get, um, to get an optimal result? Um, whereas what I'm doing is like, we can't, we can't necessarily um, um, tease out that difference, right? We can't necessarily like tweak the switching. <laughs> um, but they're, but like you're, you're correct in that the two share a lot of commonality. Um, so I think that, I do think that analyzing hybrid systems can be helpful for those who, who do um, control theory. Thank you, Jacob, for coming. Um, I think it kind of, it does, it is a little bit more limiting, right? In that like, you're often handed down this, the switching behavior kind of ahead of time and you can't really change it. Um, but I think that working within that mindset might present some new challenges for control theorists. Um, if you kind of were like, oh, well, maybe I'm more limited in like how, how am I switching or what, how I'm able to control this system. Um, but you're right, the, the, do, the two, and I think, so um, oftentimes, the other thing with control theory is that uh, like oftentimes your control is allowed to be um, like a continuous function, right? Whereas I was talking about in hybrid systems, I'm talking like a piecewise constant, which is gonna have jumps and jump discontinuities. Um, but one thing that we do see a lot, and I don't know how much optimal control anybody's done, um, oftentimes when people do optimal control and try to find like an optimal control function for whatever system, those controls end up being what we call bang bang controls, which are exactly piecewise constant controls. Oftentimes we see that those bang bang solutions end up being exactly those piecewise constant ones um, that are gonna end up being optimal. So like, I think for instance, I studied at one point an optimal control model for looking at like um, a cancer model. So I have some kind of a model that represents a tumor and how the tumor grows or shrinks. Um, and there's a parameter in there that represents kind of, you know, some kind of treatment or medication that's given and the dosage might change over time. Right. And what the optimal control model told us was like the optimal model was actually a bang bang um, system. So it was basically like give all the dosage at once and then discreetly stop and then stop giving the dosage. Like that ended up being the optimal method. Um, and so I think looking at the language of hybrid systems and looking at those kind of incorporating those discontinuities into the system, like we're already seeing that that is something that we need to study because, like I said, oftentimes those bang bang solutions end up being the ones that we see. So I think that's also related to um, the, I don't know the right term, but th there's this problem in formal formal methods of like coming up with the guards for a hybrid system. So like you want your system to satisfy some property and you mm. don't know basically what, uh, when you have a piecewise function, like what the conditions should be for the different pieces. So sure, you, come up yeah. with, you come, you like come up with the conditions, like the, the jump conditions basically. And right. so I, I think it would be like, I don't know, Daniel might know better than me, but like uh, reactive hybrid controller synthesis or something like this, there's some term for that um, problem, which would also be kind of a control theoretic problem, but it's yeah, not exactly yeah. optimal control. It's right. Very different. Right. 
Yeah, I was actually really fascinated when you first reached out because I, I like, I'm a theorist, right? And so I didn't know. I mean, I could tell you, I was like, oh, hybrid systems, there's probably some application of those. And I was thinking kind of more in like, maybe like biomedical sciences where like, you know, you have, um, and as computer scientists, I feel like you kind of know this, like we can only control things. Like we can really only, like in as far as real world goes, like the, con the continuity, like we don't have like infinite precision over things, right? Like really we can kind of only control things up to a certain discretized point. Um, and so that's where I was kind of getting that application, but seeing what Max was telling me about like the applications of hybrid systems to, to other other applications um, was really fascinating. And I didn't actually know about all of that. So that was really cool. Uh, Sean, Brennan, et cetera, if any of you have questions, you should jump in. Otherwise I'll keep asking because I've, I've got plenty. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I guess um, uh, the self-referential stuff is interesting to me. You said something else really interesting about noise, which maybe we could follow up on. So um, I, I guess like noise could also be used as a way to deal with you not knowing enough about the thing you're modeling, right? Like if you exactly. only know how to approximate it to say, you know, the third order polynomial or something like right. this, right. then maybe you just kind of add some noise on the order of magnitude of the rest of the function. And then like in our context, a lot of what we do, I don't do this work, but people in my field do this thing where you'll have some, some polyhedra based tool that can put a bound on the behaviors of a hybrid system. And then mm -hmm. you're like, I never want any state to be within this compact set. Mm -hmm. And that set might be something like the nuclear reactor is, is too hot or something. And then mm -hmm. like, you use the tool with some elaborate model that a grad student spends months writing and you like prove that it's not going to be in that set because the tool over approximates the behavior and that polyhedra yeah. doesn't intersect. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of times when you write those models, you are kind of approximating many different, much more complicated things. Like you don't really know what differential equations fully characterize the flow of water in a bat or something. But I guess yeah. if you use noise, you could kind of deal with that, right? Because you could have noise on the Yeah, so this is one thing that I mention a lot when when I kind of give that talk about like inputting, you know, um, perturbing a system with noise is, again, when I'm modeling, when I'm working with a real world system, like we don't have infinite precision, right? I can't guarantee that I'm going to, like something is going to happen and there's going to be no error on that, right? There's just no way. And so like, it makes total sense to introduce like an error term, you know, that's on the order of epsilon that that allows you for some wiggle room in these parameters. And by adding that, you know, by saying like, oh, I only going to know something within plus or minus epsilon, that change, like I said, that changes up the dynamics like completely, right? Like I said, you can take an un like previously unstable system and make it stable. Um, just by adding in that little bit of noise there. And so um, this is something that I'm kind of like, I guess, again, I, I mostly talk to theorists, but if I were to talk to people who apply this stuff, I might encourage you to think about like, where is there room for error and how does your, does whatever you're doing change if you, if you include error in your model? Right, because it, it you might think that like oh this little wiggle room isn't going to matter that much like it could, <laughs> um, and so I guess my 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 advice to all, you all is in whatever you're doing is to think about 
that, right? Going forward is like, oh yeah, I've got this parameter here, but like really like this is only an estimate and I might have some plus or minus and be like, oh, okay, that's good enough. I'm just going to call it this. But like once you throw in, you know, some kind of um, like a, you know, a residual or something on that system, is it going to change up the dynamics? Is it going to, how is it going to like, how, what are the ramifications down the road for, for how this is going to change up? And so, um, so that's something I kind of encourage people to do. Yeah. In, in formal methods, we have like safety properties and liveness properties and mm. liveness properties are these ones that are disproved by an infinite trace, whereas a safety property can be disproved by a finite trace. And a lot of times in my experience with security systems or like systems where there's security properties that you want to preserve, uh, you'll do this thing where you say, imagine that the adversary can make some changes to the system, like some list of changes. And then mm -hmm. you ask, are these properties that were preserved, are they still preserved? And often when the liveness properties are violated, it's because there's a steady state that was unreachable in the original system, but mm, is reachable yeah. in the perturbed one, which is exactly yeah. what you're saying, right? That's it's exactly not exactly that. noise. Like in the discrete case, I wouldn't consider it noise exactly, sure. but it's the, same, sure. it's the same basic idea. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly it, right? Is like when you add in that little bit of wiggle room, like you, yeah, you've reached these unreachable states um, because all these things do kind of add up and compound as you go down the road. Um, they don't like kind of sit in this isolated, um, system. So. So you introduced this metric and something that um, I would give as like a criticism of a lot of math papers that relate to <laughs> FM topics that I work on is that they'll often introduce metrics that I can't actually calculate with a computer. Like there's this paper I really like from some people at ETH Zurich where they introduced a metric on linear temporal logic formula to figure out how different two formula were, but it was like, you couldn't compute it. It was like an infinite number of you know, steps <laughs> to compute. So I'm like, what's the point? Like I, I try to compute things here. So can you tell us a bit about your metric? Is it, can I compute it? Can I approximate it? And maybe more intuitively, like, does it tell me something intuitive that's useful or is it more like it's mathematically useful as a gadget in order to allow us to use a bunch of other theorems or something like that? Um, okay, so whether I compute it with a computer, I would say, Yes, again, I'm totally a theorist, so I, but like re really like this integral here is sort of scary looking, but really all you're doing is you're measuring, like if I have two functions, I'm just going to split up the functions into like unit intervals, right? So the interval from zero to one, the interval from one to two, the interval from two to three, and then on each of those intervals, I guess it does kind of require you to do like infinitely many of those. I can ignore stuff that's far away, right? Because Sure, you could ignore stuff. I mean, that's that's going to kind of get us into like that estimation error thing, right? But like, sure, yeah, you could if you needed something only up to a certain precision, right? You could you could only do a finite number of these. Um, but like on each of those intervals, all you're doing is you're just measuring, like, okay, on this interval, are the like do the two functions agree ever? Or like, and how much do they agree and how much do they disagree? And since these functions are piecewise constant, you know, you're not gonna see something like this where they only agree on like a point, right? They're gonna agree on like a significant overlap, right? If they agree, or maybe they don't, or, you know, or they don't. So, so you're, all you're doing is you're just kind of adding up all of the little lengths of which, where do these things agree? Where do they disagree? And because they're piecewise constant, you get like a positive measure, right? You're again, you're not going to see two functions kind of right. Like this. Um, so it's like it's like the Lebesgue measure of the end of the two functions. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly okay. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's exactly what it is. And again, you do kind of weight it 
um, so that stuff in the middle is more important than stuff way out in the tails. Um, so I guess you could tell me whether you can do that on a computer. I believe you can, aside from the whole fact that you have to do this infinitely many times. But like you said, like you mentioned, um, if you if you only need it up to a certain precision, right? You could you could cap where you do this sum. So, um, so I believe you can do that on a computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's actually this space here is very very cool. Um, I started by studying this as a completed to discrete like a sequence space. Um, and the dynamics on that are really fascinating um, because it's not like we're used to thinking about as human beings kind of we're used to thinking about things like in Rn, right, in like Euclidean space. Um, but this space, it's a metric space, but like topologically speaking, the topology is like super, super weird. Um, for instance, like if I have a ball. Like if we're thinking about balls in Rn, like there's only one point that's going to be in the center, right? There's one point in the center and then everything else. But in this metric space, if I have a ball, any of the points can be considered the center of the ball. They all kind of are like, it's, it's, you can't picture it because it's not Euclidean, like it's super weird, but it's like the way that they are in reference to each other is like any, any one of the points that's in the ball could, you could rewrite it such that that was the center of the ball. Um, and so I think it's fascinating and it kind of gives you this like super weird topology um, that is still metrizable. Um, so it's an example of like weird, weird spaces out there um, that are not Euclidean. So, That's super cool. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your current research? Like what, what do you think are kind of interesting, uh, exciting things with hybrid systems that you're, that you're working on or want to work on? So I mentioned right now I'm doing the kind of like stochastic perturbation stuff, right? So like if I don't know exactly what the switches are going to happen, but maybe I can I can have some sort of a probability distribution. Like maybe I have like a Poisson distribution that tells me like when the switches are going to happen, right? Um, um, that is introducing that randomness to the system, whereas I don't, where I don't know things exactly ahead of time. Um, and like I mentioned, like introducing that noise, that randomness can shake up the whole dynamics of whatever you're studying. Uh, um, that's kind of the one major hybrid systems project that I've got going on right now. Um, I am also doing, this is like completely different. Um, I'm working with a biologist friend reached out to me and he is studying um, genomic data. And I don't know anything about genomics or genetics or I've had to learn a lot, but I was looking at, he was like sending me all of this genetic data and it's basically just like big long sequences, right? Like it's just sequences of AGs, Cs and Ts. I think those are the right ones. Um, and I, my mind immediately leapt to like kind of these function spaces, like these switchings, right? I was like, oh, we have like a finite number of states that we kind of switch between. Um, and so I kind of introduced basically this idea, this metric here into like how we wanna like, if I'm looking at this genomic data, how can we compare like two similar, two individuals or two like 
um, alleles of two of individuals, like how similar and how different they are by some kind of a weighted metric like this. Um, so not totally hybrid systems related, but it does kind of, I did kind of borrow inspiration from this because I was like, I'm exactly looking at this idea of like a finite number of spaces and I'm kind of switching between. Um, so, so I'm, you know, we're still seeing kind of like the application of those ideas elsewhere. That's cool. There's a professor who does sort of similar work named uh, Kekia Noglu at the University of Arizona. He oh develops, yeah. He develops algorithms for, for processing genetic data, but uh, I, I can email you his link offline. You might yeah, please do. That's that. fascinating. Yeah. yeah, that would probably be helpful to look at. Um, so. We've taken very generously an hour of your time. So <laughs> thank you so much. Um, Sean, Brennan, Alex, Daniel, if any of you have a question, this is, you know, speak now or forever hold your peace because we should. I mean, you could also, you can feel free to yeah. email afterwards. Like you do not have okay. to hold your peace forever. Um, but yeah, thank you. This has been a lot of fun um, chatting with you all. So thank you so much for having me and putting hey, thank up you so much. for an hour. <laughs> this was terrific. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, is it okay if I post this online or would you prefer if the video is just like internal to the- uh, You can uh, post it online, that's fine. Okay, sounds great. All right, thank you. This was a blast. We really appreciate your time. All right, thanks so much, everyone. Okay, bye.